The Weekend Warrior, every Saturday morning from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. On ESPN LA 710. Dedicated to you, the fan who works hard all week and slugs it out on the court. The field, the big box store, and the honey-do list all weekend long. And helping you cope as you come to the realization you're not 19 any longer. Here's board-certified orthopedic surgeon Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Having so much fun like we do each and every Saturday. I'm going to read from Twitter. My handle is at Dr. Robert Clapper. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's a lot of fun. But this comes from George Sands. We used to get to the forum early to get autographs. Once, before a Mother's Day playoff game, we were behind Chick Hearn pulling into the parking lot. There was a sawhorse in front of his usual parking spot just outside the Forum Club kitchen door. He had Marge get out of the car and move it. <laughs> Thank you, George Sands. <laughs> that's at George Sands 58. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Appreciate that. Wow. <laughs> well, speaking of Chick Hearn and having Marge move the sawhorse, here he is talking about his lovely bride. And Marge, don't feel bad. I like you, too. No question about it. That is the answer to any puzzle that you might have about my longevity. She is truly a living saint. To all of you, enjoy the second half. And let's go, Lakers. You're playing like dogs. You're playing like dogs. Only Chick Hearn. And he even goes further. If you keep playing like dogs, I'm going to get some dog food, some Alpo. Oh, what a ceremony. (laughs) If they play in the third quarter like they did in the first half, I'm going to bring them some Alpo. (laughs) (laughs) Never one to be uh, caught at a loss for words. (laughs) Chick is continually uh, letting them know that the ceremony really was a special ceremony uh, representing Chick and his 3,000th consecutive broadcast of Laker games. Today's topic is all about Growing, maturing, fermenting in the world of food, making beer from malt and hops and some water. That foam on top is the fermentation of those grains in the liquid. Yogurt. Yogurt is also fermentation. There's so many things that we have in our lives that are this natural process of aging. And a cucumber is special because it has a certain type of bacteria on it, a lactobacillus, that when you put it in water with salt, with garlic and some dill, and just leave it alone, let it breathe. You don't have to seal it. Just let it breathe. The bubbles will come to the top, and the cucumber will turn from being this flavor of a freshly picked zucchini type vegetable to something out of this world it is an art to this science and at 815 we're going to hear about it but it made me think all week where in the world of art where in the world of sports can you appreciate that cucumber becoming a pickle well in the world of sports it was chick hearn The great Jerry West, 
a pickle in his own right, a fermented basketball player. Talking about when he was a cucumber, he was listening to Chick Hearn. This is on the honoring of Chick Hearn's 3,000th consecutive game. You know, I'm not, I'm not supposed to say anything but uh, one little thing, but I would like to say something from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I remember when this man started broadcasting games when I was a kid, and I'm certainly not a kid anymore. But I must tell you that this man has probably done as much for the careers of all these players you see up on the wall up there, their jerseys retired. And it's probably brought more joy to Laker fans in Los Angeles than anyone I can imagine. Chick Hearn was a fermented cucumber. He was a pickle. 80 years old, he's still doing his job. But here's a soundbite of our beloved Kobe Bryant making his first start in the NBA. Sitting, a cucumber sitting with a pickle. This is what I hear when I listen to these two guys talk. Chick Hearn trying to make Kobe comfortable, but also remind him, this is just the beginning, young fella. You're going to be something special. Enjoy the journey. Well, he might be only 18 years and five months old, but this guy can do everything that the veterans can do and do it better, perhaps. Kobe Bryant, last night you get your first start as a pro. How'd it feel? I felt good. I felt great, you know, going out you know, for the starting lineup. You know, I tried to keep, keep a straight face and keep a serious look, but, you know, I couldn't help but cracking a little smile. Do you get a little feel of palpitation? Sure, sure, sure. Because, I mean, you're so excited to get out there to be in the game, and I haven't done that since since high school. Right, right. So I I, I naturally get excited. Now Chick Hearn's going to remind Kobe, yeah, those were high school days. How big was your gym in high school? You're about, young man, to come to the Great Western Forum. There's a whole different jar of pickling taking place here. Speaking of high school, how big was the gym you played in at Marion? How many people? Uh, About 500 people. 500? About 500 people. This seat's 26,000. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> the last time we were here, you played, I think, about six minutes. I was looking right. at the box score. It didn't get in. It was garbage time when you got in. Now tonight, you'll be in the real time. What's the difference? Well, the difference is you have to make a contribution early on. You know, you have to go in there and uh, you know, produce right away and uh, get the ball into the big fella, get Eddie some looks, and, you know, whereas... When I got in there within the garbage time or the bench, you know, I really didn't have to produce. I didn't, didn't have, have all the pressure on me. Mm-hmm. What about in the world of art, the world of music? The wise elder sitting down with the young pup, Quincy Jones, got asked by Michael Jackson, I'm leaving the Jackson 5 and I want a solo career. This, the album's going to be called Off the Wall. It's 1979. Quincy Jones, despite the record company giving them pushback, stayed and fought back. But then he didn't realize he has to fight with Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson said, I don't want violins on that song, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Really? Listen to this interview. What on those albums, Thriller, for example, is you? You know, you have his music, some of his writing, some of his influence. We take his stuff and take it to another level. Don't stop till you get enough. It's very well known that Michael sent me a note. Could you please take off the violins in the introduction? No, it's messed up my groove. You know what that line was? 
Yeah. The identifying line on the goddamn side. So he said, take it off? Yeah. And you said? No way. Yeah. <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. No. Mm -mm. Who was right? Well, who, what, what ended up on the record? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's one of the strongest parts of the introduction. Diddle, 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 diddle. With Ben Wright. Yeah. Ben Wright wrote that. This was a Motown arranger. That's Quincy Jones, the mature music man, telling the young pup cucumber, this is what you're going to have to do. But Quincy Jones also had to deal with a bunch of fermented cucumbers when he made We Are the World. He made a big sign, park your egos at the door. These were not cucumbers he was dealing with. He was furthering that fermented process, bringing a bunch of mature pickles together in a jar to make We Are the World. But he is a supreme kosher pickle. That's right. He's the sourest of them all. They can tell them what to do. Let's talk about We Are the World, one of the best selling records of all time. There have been lots of other groups that have done similar songs, including here in Canada. Uh, first of all, that line, Park Your Ego at the Door, that you put up in a sign, who came up with that? I did, but it wasn't necessary. They came in for the right reasons. They really did. They came there to give back. And that's, you know, it wasn't necessary. We are a part of God's great big family. And the truth, you know, love is all we need. We are the world. Michael. We are the children. Was there a lot of politics trying to figure out? who would do which vocals and yeah, how to balance it. And also placement, all, yeah. all kind of stuff, yeah. And I had to, that? Well, I had to take care of telling 46 people only 21 could sing solos. Yeah. That was not popular at all. I mean, they were freaking out, man. Who did you have to say no to? Well, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but you can imagine that. Because he's a wise man. He is a mature, fermented cucumber. He is wise. I'm not going to get into that. But I had to tell half those people who came, you can't be in the solo. You're going to be in the background. That's Quincy Jones. He's the chick hern, in my mind, of the music business. The maturation, the fermented, the perspective, and the comedy. That's the commonality between these two mature men in their fields. They can be so self-deprecating about and see the joy and see the, the humor. You don't have to take it that serious when you're that specialized in your field. God bless Dr. Larry Dore, who did my fellowship with him in 1988 when he was at Curl and Job. And I saw for the very first time he could kibitz with his patients. I didn't know you could do that. My training in New York at special surgery, everybody wore bow ties and they were all buttoned up, literally. You walked in the room and you showed the x-rays, you examined the patient. It was an intimidating type of thing. There was a tremendous amount of knowledge in the room, but it was next level in terms of intensity, that interaction of the patient, the doctor, and the exam room. Hallowed halls. All the papers written, the inventions that came out especially, it was awesome. 
But then I go and spend my very first day with Dr. Dorr. His voice was loud because he was loud. He literally could slap that patient on the shoulder instead of just shaking their hand to say he was excited to see his patients. And he was loud. And I remember going, oh, my God, I can I can be myself. I remember the moment where I realized I get to be this way. Well, that comes from the fact that he was so secure in who he was. His intimate knowledge of how your body worked, your hip, your knee, your shoulder, all of it. But he was so self-deprecating. And he taught me, he taught me many things. But he also taught me the humor in it, in a beautiful way, in an appropriate way. There's an expression that by the end of your career in medicine, your patience will start to resemble your personality. And it's probably a selection bias that, you know, the ones that don't like you, they don't feel connected to you, they'll go away. And you end up with the ones that appreciate you and your personality. It was a great lesson to learn. But that journey of life, that beginning when we're all just a cucumber, how we ferment and become that delicious, sour, make your lick, lip snap, pickle, is what I want to talk about. And coming up next, my guest, the great Hannah Lewis from my favorite pickle in the world, Bubby's Pickles, will join us. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 7710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. This is Michael Thompson, and don't miss the Weekend Warrior show with the great Dr. Robert Clapper, who fixed my hip Saturday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. on 710 ESPN. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited to talk to my next guest, and I want to thank Jared Abrams for tracking her down. It's the great Hannah Lewis from Bubby's Pickles. Hannah, thanks so much for hiding out in your car, being able to talk to us for a few minutes. Absolutely, Dr. Clapper. Thank you so much for having us. Can you imagine that I'm talking to a pickle person on a sports radio show on ESPN? But let me tell you something. The lessons that you've learned and the techniques and the strategies that you use is exactly the same maturation that needs to take place in a young Michael Jackson and in a young Kobe Bryant. The fermenting process of life. But you actually do it with vegetables. So tell us what, well, first of all, Hannah, who are you? Where'd you grow up? What'd your father do for a living? And how did becoming a pickle person enter your life? I don't know, but I feel like this this radio show is like all of aspects of my life coming together at once. <laughs> I grew up in Seattle, Washington, where I was a soccer player of all things. Uh, tore four ACLs on my way to trying to play in college, and ended up sitting out most of my college experience. So it's ironic that we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, the funny part is life is is full of twists and turns. And through those injuries, I fell into coaching, and through coaching, I met. Uh, 
a team at Ian Jake Gallo Winery where I began my career out of out of school. Uh, so I worked in wine, which also goes through a fermentation process, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think you could say fermentation has been part of my life for a very long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. But through, again, you know, kind of a career where I've had a chance to, to work on brands as iconic as Heinz Ketchup and wow. Leon Perrin's to building brands that are new and are young and are, you know, just getting off the ground. Bubby's Pickles, for me, has been the perfect intersection of, of all of those things. So I joined this team about a year ago uh, as the head of marketing. And I, I, you know, Bubby's Pickles is now part of a larger company called Fermented Food Holdings, where we literally focus and spend all of our time dedicated to the art of fermentation. And so we have sauerkraut businesses like Wild Brine. We have pickles and sauerkraut and horseradish businesses like Bubby's. Um, we now are the proud owners of GLK Foods, which creates most of the sauerkrauts uh, that would have come out of Wisconsin, brands like Silver Floss, mm-hmm. brands like Severn, brands like Patch. And so it's really kind of a fun place to be at the heart of, of all things fermented. But I think a lot of people are still trying to figure out what's with fermentation and, and why is it so trendy right now in particular and what is that process and to your point how is it like athletics right so mm-hmm. um you know the biggest thing with fermentation is that it's about time right it starts with great ingredients mm-hmm. you can ferment bad produce and you'll just end up with bad pickles right mm-hmm. so like an athlete you've got to start with someone who's got you know the right dna mm-hmm. and the right mental and i think emotional wiring to become a great performer. So we start with the best produce we can find that's usually as close to the place of production that we can find. Uh, and it all it all begins there. And then that produce, we'll, we'll use pickles as an example today, um, begins the process of fermentation, which is really, quite simply put, emerging that cucumber into a brine that is truly just salt and water, right? There's nothing else in it. So Bubby's is really unique because unlike other pickles where you would find vinegar in the product, we don't have any. It's mm. just salt and water. Mm. And when you start with a great, great cucumber and the right mixture of salt, water, and then we use a secret spice blend that's been part of the brand for from its inception, really, um, you end up with what is, in our mind, the perfect pickle. Mm. Who's the lady on the picture? That's a great question. Um, so it's it's ironic. When John and Kathy Gray first bought Bubby's Pickles from this tiny little upstart in San Francisco, the the jar actually didn't feature a woman on the package at all. It just kind of said the brand name. And Bubby's, if you're if you're Jewish, right, mm-hmm. Bubby's is the Yiddish term for grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all have a Bubby in our life, right, whether you call them a Gigi or a Nana. Um, and we wanted to make sure that people really connected, you know, outside of the Jewish culture, too, that Bubby, Bubby kind of means this matriarchal person in your family. And so they spent actually years trying to find the perfect Bubby. And it's one holiday meal. They looked up, and there she was on their mantle. It's actually uh, John Gray's mother-in-law, who is the woman that's that's on the jar. So she's a real person. Uh, She was a real bubby. And, you know, she she really kind of exposed all the values of the brand, right? She was this amazing sort of person who'd lived this very rich life full of this depth of experience and had learned all of these lessons and did everything in her power to create a better life for the generations of her family that came after her. Mm. Wow, that's just a, a fantastic story. Now I understand, though, why my mother, a bubby as well, used to put rye bread in the homemade jar of fermenting cucumbers to make pickles because she said it makes it faster, but it must be that there's yeast in the rye bread <laughs> that was probably helping the fermentation. Like Once again, my mother was right. I can't believe it. Bubbies always are. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. Always are, right? <laughs> Now, 
tried and tested knowledge. Let's talk about what happens in your gut, right? As a as a doctor, as an orthopedic surgeon, but I know a lot about the rest of the body as well that you need natural bacteria in your gut to digest food and to be healthy. And those natural bacteria, which, by the way, the stem cells we now learn, live in the appendix, which is why it's really a real incentive nowadays for us not to take your appendix out like we used to do it at the drop of a hat. You actually want to do everything you can to preserve even the appendix because the stem cell bacteria live in the appendix. Uh, so if you have an, an attack, we give you antibiotics to quiet it down rather than take it out. But it's the whole idea of probiotics. Talk to me a little bit about the natural bacteria that uniquely, it's not on a tomato necessarily, it's not on another vegetable, that happens to be on a cucumber. Yeah, so again, a lot of it comes down to the farmer that you're working with, right, and how they manage it and, and treat their crops. But in in a sense, you, you, you would take this raw produce, right? And of course, we, we wash it so it's not covered in dirt, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't wash it so much that all of the naturally occurring sort of microbes that you would find in a, in a you know, field go mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. And when you combine that with the salt water, what happens is there's, there's truly a chemical reaction that takes place mm-hmm. where the live cultures that are part of that micro kind of material that are sitting on the skin of that cucumber, right, interact with that salt and water, and they go through a metabolic process that creates really live cultures that become part of that brine that Mm. surrounds the pickle. And it's those cultures that turn the pickle uh, into a pickle from being just a cucumber. And so what's interesting is in every jar of our fermented kosher dill pickles, right, that brine, it's like liquid gold, right? It's like the most concentrated probiotic substance you could consume, right? And so we have a lot of people who buy our pickles and they, they drink it right out of the jar, right? We, we say on the lid, shake until cloudy. And we want people to do that because it takes all those cultures that may have settled at the bottom and moves them back around through the jar. Um, and it, and it kind of creates that holistic process where not only do our pickles taste like the pickles you grew up with in New York in the 20s, mm-hmm. right? But they also have this added benefit of being great for, for your gut. So, and again, I'm a novice at this, so I apologize for the questions. They may be stupid. But from my understanding, so the gas, which is the fermentation, and it's the foam in beer, for example, but the equivalent is that's what you're doing to make this brine for the cucumber to become a pickle. You actually need to have it breathe, right? You you want a dry cloth on top uh, or even open. You don't want to have it sealed, but you're in the food business and I got to go to Gelson's and get your jar of pickles, which by the way, I'll give you my address so I can get a few more of them. Thank you very much. (laughs) Absolutely. But you, you, so what's the challenge like Hannah uh, for Bubby's Pickles where you need the gas to go free to do it, but everything must stop when you now have to seal it so people, so it's sterile and you don't get, you know, that you have food that's, that's not going to get you sick there must be a period of time that's not good to seal the pickle because that may actually decay it, or am I not talking the right way? No, you're, you're explaining the process exactly right, and it is. It's, it's like making tequila, right, or it's like making any other sort of fermented beverage where this, this pickle, right, or this cucumber in its brine in its current state as it's becoming a pickle actually sits in open-air tanks. So we do have them wide open. They're breathing, you know, the bacteria and the cultures, everything's bubbling and doing everything that it needs to do to interact with the air that's around it 
to, mm-hmm. to let that process go as far as it needs. Mm-hmm. Part of the secret of the sauce is knowing when to then stop that fermentation, mm-hmm. right? So what we end up doing is draining the brine from those vats, pulling the pickles out. And then what we do is that, that essentially stops the fermentation, right? We put mm-hmm. the pickles back into the jar. We add that brine and seal it back up. And in doing so, we essentially stop it from having a second fermentation. If more air were to get into that jar, right, you would essentially begin the process of a second mm. fermentation. So we work really hard to make sure that that doesn't happen. Got it. Oh, my God. Okay, so the the brine that you put in, when you so you've, you've now made the pickle. You say, okay, they're ready. We're going to now put them in a jar to sell them. That removal stops the process. You now put them in a glass yep. jar. Is it fresh brine from the beginning? You're not using the old brine anymore. You're using fresh water and garlic and dill. Nope, same, nope, same, same stuff. Same brine. Oh, same stuff. okay. Same stuff goes back in. Got but it. when you temperature control it and you maintain the the temperature, right? So in an open air tank, it's sort of at you know ambient temperature. Mm. By us putting it in the jar, chilling it down so that it's cold, right? We mm. prevent that fermentation from taking place again. Mm. And so it's why with our kosher dills, right? You might be used to finding other brands of pickles next to the ketchup or the mustard in the condiment section. Mm. Ours are going to be in the refrigerated section. Mm. They have to be, otherwise we run the risk of again having that second fermentation happen on the pickles, and they won't taste as good. So it'll hurt you. They just won't taste as good. You're you've been on the job for a year. You've learned a lot, and you're super smart and passionate about it, which is what I love. What surprises have you learned about the pickle business uh, over this last uh, year? In other I words, continue- yeah. In other words, Bruce question. Brown, who made the movie The Endless Summer, a good friend of mine in 1964, to introduce yeah. surfing to the world. You know, nobody wanted to produce his movie and to prove to them that a surfing movie would sell to the crazy movie industry. He took this homemade film that he concocted and took it to Kansas in the wintertime during a blizzard and had a showing in Kansas in a blizzard in the middle of the country, snowstorm, as far from an ocean as possible, and the <laughs> line to see the movie wrapped around the block. And that's when he said, okay, Hollywood, do you get it? People want to actually watch this movie. So what surprises have you had in terms of where are the most number of pickles being sold? Does it shock you that it's in this place, not that place? What surprises have you had in this career of yours so far in the pickle business? I think there's probably three surprises. The first is, just, you know, you come onto a brand and it's a brand that has done very, very well for us in the natural foods channel, right? Whole Foods, Sprouts, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. Um, and in the natural foods channel, I sort of expected people to sort of be aware of the brand and, and maybe have tried it. I think I was unprepared for just how much brand awareness exists around the Bubby's mm-hmm. Pickle brand. As soon as I started telling people this, they were like, oh, I know Bubby's Pickles. Oh, I had Bubby's Pickles. Mm-hmm. There's a there's an awareness for this product and this brand that is much larger than the brand footprint maybe is to, that I that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So that was the first surprise. So as a marketer, right, my job was always like, oh, do I need to create awareness? Or do I need to create demand? Like, what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. And I think when we got in and we started talking to consumers, the second surprise for me was just how passionate people are about pickles. Mm. I mean, the love that people have and the loyalty mm. that people have to pickles mm. is unbelievable. Mm. They're kind of even almost going through a bit of a resurgence right now. I think, you know, kind of what's old is new. Mm. And I think this idea of, of pickles, like people just can't get enough. And I think to your point earlier, I think there's the fermentation halo mm-hmm. that not all brands have, right? So if there's vinegar in there, you're not, you're not getting that same thing. Mm-hmm. But if you are doing a, a fermented pickle product, 
I think fermentation is part of it, mm-hmm. but I think at its core, and I think Bubby's is uniquely positioned in this way, people are all about right now, and I think more than ever, coming out of COVID and living in this world that we're in, really trying to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And I think pre- preserve sort of the past while they're creating this life that is the future, right? And so I think this brand just uniquely speaks to people with where they're at. It's trendy, fun. Pickles are inherently fun, right? You can't talk about pickles without like smiling. Like they're just fun. So you've got this fun product that takes people to this place that reminds them of a simpler time or Mm. family moments or family gatherings. And it kind of reconnects you with your past in many Mm. ways, whether your past is a Bubby or a Gigi or a Nona, right? We Mm -hmm. all kind of have those moments in our life that remind us of being together as a family and connecting over food. And so I think those were my, probably my two biggest surprises. The other surprise is just how much people want to find great products and they don't know where to find them. And Mm. so trying to kind of be an ambassador for how you get your hands on products that maybe aren't mainstream today and where to go shop for them and getting, you know, the the brand and and really the whole category out in front of people has been, um, has been much easier than I thought. People are very willing and accepting of products like this and brands like this right now. Okay, last quick question, Hannah Lewis from Bubby's Pickles. What's up with Canada and Ventura on the jar? What's the story? (laughs) Such a good question. So the brand was born out of San Francisco. uh, And when John and Kathy Gray bought that brand, they ended up setting up the the business offices for the brand in Ventura. Um, One, because John, I think, was at a stage in his life where he wanted to live anywhere that he possibly could. And Ventura, for him, was paradise and so the brand was sort of anchored there but the production facility that we actually use for this brand it's very difficult to find someone who can support fermenting pickles Mm. at the scale in which we need and we've had a wonderful partner uh in our in our manufacturer up up in canada and so we work with um a company there called putters who helps us produce all of these gigantic vats of freshly fermented pickles at open air. And so that's where we make the kosher dills and, and bring them right on down into the U.S. and sell them as fresh as they can be. So do you have an office in Ventura? Not we anymore. Do. You do. do? Well, you yes, tell John, is he still alive, John? Oh, yes, he's very much alive. Tell him Dr. Very Clapper can alive. come visit him because that's where I go surfing. So I want to meet him one oh, day. Well, then- you guys, we should connect you. He'll take you for a spin in the Bubby Mobile, which okay. is the coolest <laughs> green car you've ever seen. <laughs> All right, Hannah Lewis, thank you so much for making time to be with us. What a pleasure. Thank you. And Dr. I cannot wait to meet you in person one day, and those kids are lucky to have you as their mom. God bless you, Hannah oh, Lewis. We appreciate it. Thank you. Let's okay. go U.S. Men's National Team. Hopefully they pull this off. Exactly. All right, young lady. Talk All soon. Right. Appreciate Take it. Care. The Thanks. great Hannah Lewis from Bubby's Pickles. Yeah. That's what fermentation's all about. All right, coming up next, I need to take you into my office and into the operating room. I'll take your calls, though, 877-710-ESPN. But I really want to talk about the surgery that I did this week. It was just so unusual because the bone was so soft. How do I solve that problem when someone needs a hip prosthesis? I'll explain. Coming up next, right here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 7710. 
with Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. Good morning. This is Michael Thompson. Get your weekend started off right listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper on 710 ESPN, the home of your L.A. Lakers. <laughs> Good song, Rebecca. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Uh, so interesting. So I, apropos to Hannah Lou, was talking about fermenting pickles. Did you hear her say she played soccer and had four ACL injuries uh, and surgeries? Well, this week on Thursday, I joined Ben Lyons on Amazon Sports, a new venture. I guess that's where Thursday Night Football is now. But Ben Lyons, who from this station is very active now running the sports division for Amazon Prime. And Thursday morning, I appeared on his show called Bonjour Sports. And the topic was, now that we're watching the World Cup, men and women, why is it that six times the number of women soccer players are tearing their ACL more than men? Can you explain it, Dr. Clapper? And I went on and did explain it. And in essence, it's many people have theories. Is it the menstrual cycle, the hormonal changes in a woman versus man? Do they tear the ligaments? Because during this certain time of the menstrual cycle, the ligament is softer. I don't really believe that, but that's one theory. The theory or idea that I think is appropriate is that women have a wider pelvis. So to get to your knee, you come from a wider place. So when you land from a jump or you twist, you have more of an angle, more of a knock-kneed, better known as valgus, strain on your knee that puts more strain on the ligament in the center of the knee because the pelvis is wider. And the second that I reason, I believe, because so many ACL injuries now occur without contact, and soccer is not really a tackling sport like football, um, but yet even in football and in basketball, Derek Rose, so many of the players, nobody's touching them and they're tearing their ACL. Clay Thompson, for example, there's no contact and yet the ACL is torn and it speaks to, again, the anatomy. Inside your knee, there is a space in the femur, in the thigh bone, behind your kneecap, deep in your knee joint called the femoral trochlea. And here's a clap revision for you. If the ligament, your ACL, and right behind it is the PCL, the posterior cruciate ligament, if the ACL, the ligament in the front, is like your car, the space where it's housed in the thigh bone, in your knee joint, so that the ligament can be there, you need the bone of the femur to be away from it. You need room. So there's a hole called the femoral trochlea. Well, it's shaped in a rectangular fashion. The space is rectangular so that when you flex and extend and rotate your knee, twist it, there's plenty of clearance for the ligament in that rectangular space. Just like your car has plenty of space when you pull into a rectangular garage. Your car doesn't touch the side wall of the garage. It doesn't touch the ceiling of the garage. And you can move around a little bit in your garage, believe it or not, because there's clearance, right? Well, what if you were born where the space for the ligament was not rectangular, but was an A-frame? 
that the garage you have was not rectangular, but like a Native American teepee, an A-frame. There's no clearance. You can't pull your car into a, a teepee on the Great Plains. It's triangular. You need clearance. Your, the side of your car would rub against the, the opening of the teepee. There's no way it would fit. There's not enough clearance. Well, many, many people, especially women, have a femoral trochlea that is an A-frame. It's not rectangular. So when you hear about women or men without contact who plant their foot and now they collapse because they've torn their ACL, what we find in surgery is that, yep, they have more of an A-frame shape to their notch. And as an orthopedic surgeon who does lots of ACLs, I just love that operation. I've done so many over these 33 years. And you know what? Knock on wood, I've never had to take anybody back to surgery because I prefer to use your own patella tendon, not a cadaver and not your hamstring, but that's my own preference. Uh, And that data from the Mayo Clinic and places like that show that it is stronger. So that's indisputable. Um, But part of the surgery that I do, and not every surgeon does it, and I take a lot of pride, is spending the extra time to do what's known as a notchplasty. You know that I sculpt in marble and I enjoy using power tools. Well, I will spend a few minutes extra to literally carve with a burr, a high-speed burr, and carve and and make the A-frame into a rectangular space inside the center of the knee joint. And it doesn't injure the joint at all. But I basically make room for the new ligament so that it doesn't tear again and has plenty of room uh, where you were born with a A-frame, you now have a rectangle for the new ligament. Uh, it's very important for me to do a notchplasty. And I will tell you, not every surgeon wants to put the time in to do it. And uh, you wonder, hey, how come I tore it again? Why did I, what happened? Well, that oftentimes is the reason. The same A-frame cut the new ligament like it cut the old ligament. Um, but let's, I teased about what I did in surgery this week with a patient who's unfortunately had to deal with chemotherapy for colon cancer who couldn't walk because his hip was destroyed. And I think because of the radiation treatment he must have had, his bone was so soft and so weak that when I got in there to put the implant in, I literally could take my finger and push it through the bone. It was that soft. Well, how the hell am I going to have a titanium implant well fixed in this guy's bone? Yeah, Yeah, I guess you can use fatter and bigger prostheses, but his bone was too soft. So I did something that I have not done, I got to tell you, for probably at least 15 years. And in the beginning of my career, I did it all the time. But we, the technology has changed. We have implants where the bone grows into it. So I've not used cement to hold, to bond the implant into the bone in a long time. And it's a technique that many of the young surgeons, unfortunately, never get to see because we don't use it anymore. But it's a technology that you still need to know how to do for exactly the reason of my surgery this past week. I went back in time and I told Norm, my scrub tech, get the cement, get the cement mixer, get the cement gun, get the cement restrictor, all these tools that are back in a closet. And I got them 
for the case. And I went back in time. I told the people in the opera, I felt like the hair was starting to grow back on top of my head. I was going back in time. I was becoming young again. It was hilarious. But it was awesome to have that trick in my bag of tricks. And because I cemented his prosthesis into his femur, I don't have to wait for the bone to grow in. He could weight bear fully on that leg immediately. He has no pain in his hip immediately, as opposed to a disaster. And I've always felt true success in life is not when you just make a problem go away. True success in life is when you take the problem and turn it 180 degrees and make it into an asset. And that's what I did. I didn't just solve the problem. I gave him a hip that is better than anything else that could have come up with because of the problem by using cement. It was an awesome strategy, and it worked. I have to tell you about the patient who has a metal allergy, which is, believe it or not, that, not that uncommon. How am I going to put a metal prosthesis into someone who is allergic to metal? Well, the devil is in the details. And coming up next, I'll tell you exactly what I did in that particular case. And I also want to tell you what we'll be doing next week. What a show. What a show we have. I'm like so excited because I already pulled some of the sound bites. And listen, you all may be fans of the Weekend Warrior show, but you know who the biggest fan is? Me. Because I get to learn something that I never realized before. And I'm going to tell you what I learned for next week's show and already doing the early research for the show. Ah, oh, man, it's so it's it's clued into the guest and the topic. So I'll teach you about metal allergy. I'm going to teach you about what we're going to do next week. And don't forget, I got to tell you where the best chocolate babka is in Los Angeles. And we'll get into that. Coming up next, right here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. Check this out. Weekend Warrior is on the air. From the epicenter of sports in the Southland. ESPN LA 710. With Dr. Robert Clapper, board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai Health Associates. Hey, this is John Ireland, and I'm here with Michael Thompson. We're the Laker announcers. But every Saturday morning, we listen to the Weekend Warrior Show with the man, Michael, that changed your life, Dr. Robert Clapper. Made me feel like I was 18 years old again. Thank you, Dr. Robert Clapper. Get him, Doc. Get him. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Uh, I always feel sad. It's the last segment, but why not? Let's make the most of it. What do you do when you have an allergy to metal and you can't walk anymore? And all I could offer you is new cartilage made of metal and plastic. Well, guess what? You have to ask that Talmudic question. What kind of metal are you allergic to? That's right. It's like asking Hannah Lewis. You're in the vegetable fermenting business. Yes, Dr. Clapper, but not every vegetable can ferment. You can't make a pickled whatever. They're all different. The cucumber is the best because of the bacteria that naturally occurs on it. So it depends on the vegetable. Well, guess what? It depends on the metal. And we can isolate which metal 
bothers the patient. And usually the bad guy is nickel. And even though our prostheses that we use, millions and millions of cases, shoulder, hip, knee, ankle, whatever the implant is that we use to give you a life with no pain anymore, we use cobalt chrome. It's kind of like an iron steel type of material. But to make cobalt chrome, there's a small percentage of it that requires nickel. And believe it or not, if you have a sensitivity to nickel, you do not want someone putting an implant in there with the chance that you will reject it because now it's inside your body. Thank you very much. But I used a, a different kind of metal and I got a hold of a different company that makes their implant with a different kind of metal. And that's what I was able to use. And that solved the problem. And it was awesome. But let's talk about the best chocolate babka. If you want to bring me a gift, I went back in time today with you with Bubby's Pickles and that brine that I used to drink when my father used to say, Robbie, go ahead, drink it. It's good for you. Like, really? This stuff is like ridiculous. And he would take a nice long drink of it and his lips would pucker up like he was going to give me a kiss, which I always loved. My father used to kiss me. I was... I was, it, was, it was not embarrassing in front of my macho friends as a young kid and teenager. My father showed emotion, and it was awesome. Anyway, his lips would pucker up drinking his pickle brine. Well, what was the other thing that I loved? Watching him and his beloved chocolate babka from the Wavecrest Bakery. Bubby's Pickles is a lot like those pickles that I ate as a kid. Well, there's a chocolate babka in this town that's a lot like the one from the Wavecrest Bakery in Far Rockaway. And it's in Reseda. And it's called the Delicious Bakery. And I want to thank Alan Abrams for teaching me about that place. You better go quick because every time I mention them, they sell out. So get up to Reseda to the Delicious Bakery and wait till you feel how heavy that babka is. It like weighs a ton because it's filled with veins of chocolate, not veins of blood, not veins of gold ore. It's better. What did Steve Sable say? Life is great. Football is better. Veins are great. Blood veins are great, but chocolate veins are better. Let's talk about next week. Oh, I'm so excited already. My guest is a woman that I surf with. Her name is Leslie DeLand, and she is a swimming instructor. She's a hell of a surfer, but she's a swimming instructor. And I said to her in the water one day as we're waiting for waves, Leslie, your parents taught swimming. They were Olympic swimmers. You're in the swimming teaching business. What is it? One thing that you have to tell that young kid that you're trying to teach to swim. What is the one thing? She said, Robbie, there's one thing, that they got to trust the buoyancy of the water. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Trust. That's what I want to talk about in art and in sports and in surgery. Trust. So guess what I'm going to be talking about? There's a song that Brian Wilson wrote 
He wrote the music, but not the lyrics. With Tony Asher. Tony Asher wrote the lyrics to God Only Knows. But there are issues of trust in that song in a positive way that I will explain. Three things. Brian Wilson didn't sing the song. His brother Carl did. I'll explain. The word God in a song title that isn't gospel, the DJs aren't going to play it. That's the second thing. And the third thing, guess what the beginning line that Paul McCartney says is the greatest love song ever written, Beach Boys God Only Knows. Guess what the first line of that song is? I may not always love you. How the hell can that be a love song? That's the opening line of the greatest love song that Paul McCartney says he's ever heard. But I will explain next week why trust is the key component to that first line in the song. So until next week, as I do each and every Saturday for these last 12 years, I'm leaving you with Volare. And I know one thing. We're going to have a show next week, and I can't wait for you to be there with me. So until then, I'll see you on the radio.